Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. Episode number one, Fout at Five, special midweek episode. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, B. Host number three, Corey. Host number three. I like the cadence. Yeah, I gotta keep it the nice. Cadence. People need to know. Yeah, so, so this is before we before we get to the ads, before you can you can jump through the ads with your fast forward button. Uh, this is a special episode because I was I was getting into the Filecoin stuff, and there seems to be somewhat of a like a, a, a difference of opinions on how things are moving um, with respect to this particular ICO and its impact on the entire space. So I've been reading a bunch of blogs and decided to get a bunch of people together to talk about it, and that's what this episode is. That's why it's a midweek coming out of nowhere, and. Uh, going to be a good one yeah. yeah i'm pretty excited about it that file coin shit seems like a big deal so yeah the best part about this episode is i know nothing about file coins so i get to listen to this episode <laughs> like <laughs> like just a fan of the show can so. i pitch file coin in my movie theater guy voice sure yeah do that do that all right here we go this is my best i just drink a bunch of water so my it's good in a world in in a, in a world where your files could be stored on a world hard drive and not just on somebody's server, but on everyone's servers. Was that good? I like it. Yeah, I can do it. You actually pretty do a pretty good voice of that. I'm not I'm not upset about that. I like to do voices in my free time. I've got a few in my hip pocket. I save them for parties. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Your Australian it's, voice, like any any white voice that you have, other than the movie guy voice, is pretty terrible. Uh, I could do a pretty good Jeff Jefferson. I don't know, even know who that is. So, sure. Uh, be a pretty standard issue white dude from the Midwest. Yeah. Do it. All right, let me give it a shot. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Jeff. You know me as Jeff Jefferson, and I'm really excited to be here today. Really excited to talk with the guys from the Bitcoin Podcast. Um, I've I listened to a lot of their stuff, and is that pretty good? Not bad. I feel like your and is a little too is a little too black. My and was too black. You're gonna work, you have to work on your and. Everything else is pretty pretty Jeff Jefferson. I know, I- I like the Australian uh, who has a kangaroo named Kanga. <laughs> oh, yeah, you like that, don't you? My kanga, kangaroo named Kanga. Uh, all right. Tell uh, Let me get, let me get, get these ads out the way. Uh, Nobody wants to hear your ads. 
No, I'm kidding. Go for it. Sure you do. I mean, if this is the first time listening to the show, I got some good, I got some good services for you. Uh, we're brought to you by the good folks at Athena Bitcoin. They're located in like Chi Town, Philly, a bunch of Texas or cities like Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston, and they just so happen to be the most trusted name in all of Bitcoin ATMs. So download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And for all those locations that I didn't have time to get to, you can find all that on AthenaBitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by their portfolio company, BitQuick.co, which is a very easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. It's They've Bitcoin. been serving Bitcoiners. Get your bits quick. I had to throw that in. Sorry. I, you, 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 Don't we cut, him off. Hard I cut him off. Hard. I don't think he was jingle. done. Sorry. It's cool. It's cool. I got jingled. Uh, we're also brought to you by BetKing.io. Uh, don't get your bet. Don't fret. It's the most trusted dice site on the net. Bam. All right. The only place where over 360 million bets have occurred, uh, and they just finished an, uh, an ICO, which raised $1.2 million. And it's not as disgusting as Corey thinks because those funds will actually be bankrolled back into the website to make it just an easier and all-around better experience. So they're going to add a bunch of games like uh, blackjack, uh, roulette, uh, sports betting. That's always fun. Poker, tournaments. You can use your Ethereum. You can use your Litecoin. You literally don't need to go anywhere else. So to learn more about BetKing, head on over to BetKing.io. Subscribe to that newsletter. And uh, you can get the latest news and updates delivered directly to your inbox. That's always fun until Holla. you unsubscribe. Follow. Yeah. I'm yes. also, I'm all, what do you want, G? I was going to make a joke, but it's too soon. All right. Well, we'll hold off onto it for no time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, without, I think we should, we should jump to the interview. I, I really, it's, it's a long interview. It's about an hour. And, it's yeah. it's pretty packed full of um personal opinions and information about what's going on <laughs> and how it affects this this community as it as in its entirety not just ethereum or, or filecoin but all of it yep i really enjoyed it and i also would like to say congratulations to segwit for getting locked in so yeah uh, andreas was doing some kind of weird countdown on twitter and i was wondering what he was where he was going Counting down the blocks until Segwit's locked in. Do we have like a jingle for, for Segwit? Do we, D. Mm. Hit your jingle machine with uh, Segwit. Hmm. Don't fret. Let me see. Get your Segwit. No, that's not going to fly. <laughs> at all. If you're feeling like uh, I got nothing today. I got nothing, guys. I don't know. I got, I got no jingles today. All right. Then go ahead and hit him with the, the episode. Spark up your node with Segwit because that shit's lit. Bam, bam, that's all I got. Better than nothing. That's no point in bad. It's better than nothing. That's all I got. All right. Can you sing like hip hop slang like that? Who, me? Like in general. You can't sing it's lit, Segwit. You can't rhyme Segwit with it's lit. Just did. I feel like Mike that, literally just did. It's better than yeah, half the hip hop going on right now. Felt so forced. I don't know. What's up, Cello? What do you got? Remember Mike Jones like rhymed the word down? Like it's going down. Time. With, yeah, time and down don't ah. rhyme, but he 
but he tried to make it. Yeah. And then he, he made down say like Don. Yeah, like <laughs> doesn't work. Hold a Don. I was like, what? What did he say? Is he saying Don like dusk till dawn, or is yeah. he saying down? Yeah, that's better than what's going on right now. So you're doing all right, yeah. D. The saddest thing about mumble rappers is they actually can rap if you heard them on like a long time ago. Like they actually rap, like nope. use words. Nope. But now nope. they're just like, well, if I don't have to use words, then <sighs> I won't. No, like seriously, like have you ever heard like Lil Uzi Vert actually rap from when he actually had to rap to be to before he could get a record nope. deal? Nope. Like he actually raps. He doesn't mumble. Nah. Anyway, right. you're missing out. You're missing out on some good stuff. D, hit him with the, here. It is. Let's move on to this. All right. So without uh, further ado, here it is. All right, guys. Today's episode is a special episode where we're going to talk about all things Filecoin, its implications to the space, what they're doing, whether or not we like what they're doing, um, so on and so forth. And today I have three guests with me. I've got Ryan Shea from Blockstack. I've got Richard Burton from Balance My Money, and Stefano Bernardi, who is a. How would you How would you define yourself, Richard? Why don't you, or Stefano, why don't you start off by introducing yourself and telling us kind of what you do here? Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm finishing up uh, investing a small angel fund called Mission Market. Uh, we've invested in uh, 52 companies, mostly in San Francisco uh, and around all sectors, with a traditional, uh, you could call it old school. Um, by now, uh, venture model, and um, and I also run uh, a weekly newsletter with commentary on the on the crypto space called uh, Token Economy. And Ryan, do you want to go ahead and go next? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a co-founder of Blockstack, and we're working on an entirely new stack for a decentralized internet. And we're allowing people to build decentralized applications with identity, storage, and payments. And we have a whole app store filled with applications that people are building. Uh, and we're integrating with completely blockchain agnostic. Um, so although we do currently operate on top of the Bitcoin blockchain primarily, uh, and we will be supporting other blockchains soon, um, we're also storage agnostic. So you can bring your own storage. So that can be something like uh, like Dropbox or uh, Google Drive or even IPFS and uh, anything else you want to bring. And uh, we really let you own your, your all of your all of your assets from your identity to your data uh, and to your money. And that, that's that's the experience there. So it's a completely two sided market for um, for both users and applications. And Richard, hit us with your bio. <laughs> hey, my name is Richard. Um, I spent a short time at the Ethereum Foundation three years ago. And um, over the last year, I've been building a banking app together with two friends, uh, Ben and Christian. It was meant to be a simple user interface for your money. Um, in the last six months, we decided to expand um, the product to include all blockchain balances. And so our hope is that through balance, you'll be able to see all of your balances, whether it's stored on a bank or on a blockchain and be able to move your money between any account and any currency. Um, and that's what we're working on at Balance. All right. And the, the commonality between the three of you is that you've all recently written blogs about the Filecoin ICO and your particular opinions about how they're doing it um, 
some of the decisions they've made and how you feel about them and maybe the overall impact it may have on the economy. So I wanted to try and start digging in because each of you have, I guess, differently nuanced opinions on these things and you're all potential investors in these types of things. So I wanted to get an opinion from the people that know these guys as well as are actually have, having to make the choice on whether or not they would like to participate in it. So let's start off with, uh, okay, Ryan, yours was, I would say, I wouldn't say optimistic, but you decided that you are an, an investor in the in the advisor round. What? How do you view this? Like, how is it different than everything else? And why is it something that you thought you should even consider getting into? Uh, well, you know, I, I would say that um, I decided to get into it because I am, you know, I'm a big fan of IPFS and Falcoin, and um, you know, I want to support the project, um, and also. Uh, the fact that in the future, um, it would be something that I would want to use, right? Um, so whether that, I'm actually interested also in, in being involved as a, as a miner. Um, so that's something that I'm going to be, uh, to be setting up soon. So, but it's just like, I think I like to get involved with different projects that interest me in particular, um, the ones that seem to be stronger. Uh, and Filecoin was one of the ones that jumped out to me. Stefano, you have, like, you have a, I, I wouldn't, call it dissenting, but a more negative opinion on some of the decisions they made. Why is like, what, what are the, what are the problems that you have with how they've done things? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that made me like extremely frustrated is, is really out of love. Right. And, and the things that kind of make you, um, you know, kind of like the, the things that you love that then don't work out how you expect them to are the ones that make you the most mad. And, um, and so that, you know, I had like very high expectations for, for Filecoin. I think, you know, it's something that's, that's really needed uh, in the space. And I, I've always had like a, a good feeling about the team. Um, and so when I saw, you know, like the, the, the token sale dynamics, um, I got really basically let down and, and, and then started getting kind of like mad. Um, for me, you know, it, it's all a question of um, not really fairness, but like things that, that make sense. And so, uh, you know, like basically buying, I, I'm, an, I'm an investor. Right. And so like I, I, we basically as venture investors buy um, time diluted risk uh, at specific price points. And, you know, like this is a new world where like risk is constantly liquid. Um, and um, and so you have to adapt to that. But uh, that there are some things that we can, you know, kind of like uh, take from the uh, from the older model and, and, and apply it to the, to the new world. Um, and so, for example, you know, like one thing was obviously, you know, the difference in pricing between the advisory round and what uh, other investors would pay. And this is, again, like other accredited investors. So I'm, I'm not even touching on the point of like what non-accredited investors would be paying when the coin uh, will even launch on, um, on well, to, to users' wallets and, and then subsequently on exchanges. Right. So I do think that, you know, a, a two to potentially 20x difference in price um, in in a matter of few weeks is just is just not something that you know that is that is do that is reasonable and I've raised a seed round and you know I've bumped up the price after the YC demo day fifty uh, percent and uh, investors were pretty mad and like reasonably so um, and um, and you know like I think this is just um, it, it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't make 
participating at that price point worth it anymore because the, the risking has not happened to justify that that price drop. Um, as, sorry, that price hike. So, um, so that's one thing. The other thing, um, and and to me, really the most important is justifying um, allocating so much capital to one specific project at such a risky. Uh, point in time. Um, that is really like the, the the main one for me, and it, it doesn't seem like the community has it as as the most important one. Like everyone's focusing a lot on, on the price and and the advisory sale kind of um, you know fairness. But to me, that is actually the the number one thing. Is you know you have fifty two million dollars in in a presale, like that should easily fund development for for years, right? Um, and and the scale and you know the the amount of capital that will need to be raised to compete in this market, you know, Dropbox raised something like probably 1.7 billion. So no one is saying that you should achieve uh, insane, you know, and, and unrealistic things with, with this capital. Like, obviously, capital is always needed, but um, it's not needed when you already have such a lot. And so I just do not understand why there can't be an ICO when the network is ready, you know, and even maybe when the network has been deployed um, and after miners have been have been mining. Uh, that's just something that I have been asking around and I have been asking to investors in the presale. And I know most, you know, like I know a lot of like the big investors in there um, and I haven't been able to really understand. It seems like um, I don't know. So so that's my like main question. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, how much the, the foundation versus the company owns, like there, there's a bunch of things there that are just like are not clear. So I, I just miss information to. Um, uh, to to make a you know potential decision, um, um, but yeah, and and also you know the amount that the that the foundation and company are keeping in tokens on top of the cash. Uh, so so those were the things. But you know if if you were to ask me like just one thing is just the the amount of allocation for a project that's still you know extremely risky and it, it could fail at any time like any other startup you know like there's there's absolutely no guarantee um, on this project compared to like any other early stage startups I, I just don't understand why this one would warrant so much money at such a stage it will warrant money but you know when when risk is removed anybody have a kind of comment on that I could go probably here. It's it's like I yeah. I would agree in that it's difficult for me to believe. Like so, first off, this is all based on the fact that well, Juan Benet believes that the it, there is only one round. You have to build everything in one round. But I think a lot of what people don't quite understand is that these these platforms that are raising so much money that are also allocating a significant portion of the total supply to themselves. Are also raising the like it's 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 a kind of like double dipping, and you can like you said you can you can build the system you need to with a small amount of not, not you know, a decent amount of capital fifty two million dollars is not a small yeah. amount of capital, and then if you are capable of putting forth a product that everyone likes to use and it scales appropriately, then the market cap of your entire system based on the token economics will raise to something significant. This is you can see this in Ethereum, right? They raised a certain amount of millions of dollars early on, and now they're worth, you know, at currently thirty million dollars as a market, thirty billion dollars as a market cap. And if you own a percentage of those tokens, then you can use that capital to send further to the development. But we're seeing the token models drastically raise the amount that they're getting on the front end 
and then expecting their large percentages of ownership for development also raising drastic amounts of money later on if they're successful and it seems it seems greedy does anybody have something that is is ulterior to that i think i I wouldn't describe uh any of the motives of juan and the team as greedy um what came across when i spent time with them was uh an incredibly sincere desire to create a decentralized alternative to the way things work um i i think that um uh what i was looking for when i started diving back into the coin offerings that were available is is something where the founder had cared about the problem for a long time and they were using blockchain to help them solve that problem and i think it's really clear when you look at Juan's speeches on YouTube and all the things he's written and everything he's done, that he really cared about the problem of the broken internet long before the ICO craze. And I think that that speaks to the fact that he's not greedy. And I don't think his team are greedy. I think they're very, very good people. I think that perhaps where we're at, though, is um, we're at the peak of uh, 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 some kind of some kind of bubble. It might be a small bubble before a big one, but we're definitely in a kind of manic phase. And in such a phase, um, if you stick to the model that there has to be the one monolithic raise and there's no other design of an ICO system where you could say at some point in the future, just issue a percentage of new Filecoin um, if you wanted to add more capital to the network, um, then if you're stuck in that position, then you do need to do an enormous raise of money. and. I think that that's what we're all a bit, uh, that's what many people are nervous about is is can an organization that's currently managed a few million dollars um, very well to build something suddenly scale up to manage um, hundreds of millions of dollars and that's where things felt a bit strange and I think that's why I'm torn and I think Stefano's coming down hard on one side and and it's really good to have that debate. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I would also say, like, extend that and say um, that, you know, Filecoin, the, at least the plans for Filecoin were around since um, the early days with IPFS. So, yeah. um, you know, like, kind of like you were saying, it wasn't just um, some recent uh, pivot or anything like that. We were actually in um, in Y Combinator with Juan, and, uh, and at the time he was talking about IPFS and Filecoin as sister protocols to each other. Um, so mm. that was, I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you guys, um, you know, to, to a certain extent. Um, and I think that it's, I think a lot of people are just upset about the way that it, it's being done. And a lot of people still believe in, in the, in the project. Um, and I don't, I haven't spoken extensively with Juan about exactly what justified these different decisions. So I'm not, um, I shouldn't speak too much on that. Uh, I think he might have, um, good reasoning for why he's, he's doing it a certain way. Um, also, I think people are kind of, people are experimenting here. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't want to necessarily pass judgment. I don't think it's how, um, how, how we would have done it if we were doing in the same position. Um, we're just kind of like looking at the ways that other people are doing things and, um, and trying to assess what our best model is. And from, from our perspective, we're balancing, um, the different, um, you know, we're, one thing we're trying to do is get 
get our tokens into the hands of as many people as possible. Another thing mm -hmm. we're trying to do is, is um, make sure that we can um, get, uh, you know, ha have a successful sale for the token. Um, and uh, we just have so many factors and things, limitations and things that are going to go into it. So I can kind of, um, I can sympathize with the, the position that Juan is in and the, um, and the, and the rest of the team and just the constraints that they have. Um, and also I, I do, I do believe that they genuinely have good, um, intentions for the project. Um, maybe we disagree on certain decisions and maybe we think that things should have been done differently. Um, and, uh, I think like, for example, the distribution could be different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm still kind of going to wait and see. Um, and one thing that I think that was good that they, that they did was they changed, um, they made a couple of changes over the past week. One was the fact that they're now doing, uh, they're, they're doing away with the, the, the idea that, um, you could send in a payment and you won't, you wouldn't know what your price was until it was calculated afterwards. Um, so they're adding in this averaging element. And I think they're also like averaging per on a per hourly basis now, um, which seems to be two big improvements to the process. But you, I mean, from, from what I understood, you still wouldn't know the price before you invested in the first hour up to a cap. Right? Yeah, that's true. So, that's, that's yeah. what's, that's, what's unfortunate about that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the solution there is. Um, to some extent they'd have to, they have to either, they'd have to, if, if they, if they wanted you to know what the price was, they would have to guess what the price was ahead of time and then either yeah. under guess or over guess. Uh, and yeah. so that's, yeah. Which is what happens in IPOs, right? And um, and it's definitely not optimal um, always. And, and, you know, like, I think token sale design um, as token economy design and, you know, applying monetary policy and fiscal policy to um, to this new world of, uh, of token ecosystems uh, is nothing trivial, you know, like, it's, it's not easy. Um, and, um, and really, you know, you have one chance to really design it very well and you know they have uh, a bit you know longer time to do it because they you know the network is not going to be live um and so the the token designs can can like token economy designs can change a bit but it, it is hard right and so um it's fine to see experimentations on 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 all sides and uh there has there have been many worse things uh, in the past than uh than, than like many worse experiments in the past than these ones. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, there's, there's some lines that are like, they're just obvious and, and, and common sense that, you know, they, they fall outside of the scope of, um, of an experiment. Um, but I also kind of, you know, I, it's understandable, you know, you're in a position where you are like the hottest thing on the market right now. Uh, you don't know if in a year or two years, whenever the, the mark, the, you know, the, the main net will be, will be ready. And then the tokens will be delivered. If there will be this, this mania around, you know, token, uh, token sales, maybe there's going to be, you know, other competitors or, uh, you know, Ethereum is going to have a big bug or like whatever can, it can happen in, in the next, in the next two years. So you, you, you have a hard decision of saying, look, there is all this money on the table uh, that we could get. Um, what do we do? Right. So it's, it is a hard decision, right. But uh, I think it's still uh, worthwhile to, to point out the, the risks um, in, in, in taking it. Yeah. One thing I'd just like to zoom out on a little bit is I remember when I was um, hanging around with Vitalik and Gavin um, and they had taken Ethereum down Sandhill Road 
and um, and uh, many of the people wanted to invest or they were curious um, and these venture capitalists were fascinated by Ethereum but couldn't because of um, you know restrictions and, and the fact that this was this was too new and it was the people that kind of were hanging out on the Silk Road who really got Ethereum and, and people like that were the ones that participated in the crowd sale of, of Ethereum um, including myself both with my time and my limited amount of capital and so Ethereum's kind of emerged as this amazing bedrock for funding new projects, which I think is really exciting. And so the the big tension here as well is um, because only accredited investors are allowed because they are doing something so innovative with the, with the SAFT. Um, I sense this kind of groundswell of people who I meet at meetups who love the idea of Filecoin but feel snubbed because they are not wealthy. And um, and I and I certainly sympathise with that because it's it's not something I could have participated in until recently, and so I I've started to kind of view initial coin offerings through a kind of lens of capital and community. That is, you want to raise the right amount of capital relative to the stage you're at and your plans, and then you want to multiply that with an incredible community. And one of the most interesting sale designs um, is Zero X Project. Um, I think it's interesting because. They are taking a fixed cap of, of amount, amount of money, and then they are letting everyone have a fair share of that for a fixed period of time. And that, to me, is maximizing both the amount of capital they need and keeping it to be a sane sum, and maximizing the community they can create by giving everyone a fair shot at getting an equitable slice of that. And I'm incredibly excited to be involved in that. Um, whereas uh, I feel kind of this underlying tension with Falcon where you know, if this is decentralized file storage for the people, I really wish it was not only mined and supported by the people, but 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 funded by the people as well. And that, that I think is where I always had some issues with with the design of the system, and I conveyed that to them when I was hanging out. and And I know they're pushing the boat on regulation, um, which is in, which is incredible. But I, I I still wonder if there was another way, uh, if they'd waited in a little bit longer um, for the SEC to come down. Yeah, there's two so, things yeah, here. That's how I feel. Like I guess, in terms of like I am I am one of the un- unaccredited investors that maybe feel like I'm I'm excluded for certain things like this. But the understand yeah. I un- I completely understand the decisions made to do this based on the sum of money that they're that they're wanting to raise. They're definitely covering their bases to make sure that when the inevitable SEC comes in and starts making decisions and potentially cracking mm-hmm. down. They're a lot more safe because they have structures that are easier to look at from a regulatory standpoint. And mm-hmm. but when you look at the overall index of like the idea of cryptocurrency and blockchain is to be an equalizer in an in an inclusive technology, when you start to mm-hmm. introduce things that are exclusive to the wealthy, it looks a lot like what it used to be. And if you were to call it something, the butthurt index is quite high when there's things like this happen. Yeah. And, but to us, there's almost nothing we can do because the regulation is there. Um, yeah. And I, I, what was that? The second point that you had, what was, what was it again? I, I, I kind of lost, lost track there. Just thinking through ways to maximize the size of the community and finding the right amount of capital relative to the project. Yeah, it's that's a that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think the thing that you want to try and avoid doing in a lot of this is incentivizing people to get in as early as possible with as much money mm-hmm. as possible. 
it's it's been if you look at all of the ICOs that have happened based on the structure in which they've done, if you've mm. had that incentivization scheme, then you're going to destroy the Ethereum network. Not not destroy it. You're going to bog it down. And then the mm. the investor is either paying absorbent fees just to pay a ticket to get into it or is very unsure whether or not their transactions in order to participate are even going to go through. So they end up spamming the network and exacerbating the issue altogether. And I feel like it's something they should have known if they even took a second to look at it. Yeah, I um, so I, I want to disclose that I've been a, a very minuscule investor in the zero X uh, in zero X for for a while now. Um, and, uh, um, and so, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I'll obviously be, be biased, but, you know, I, I do like that, the token sale design. I think it's a very innovative, um, and, and smart way, but, um, you know, I think that for, for Filecoin, for example, I think, you know, an, an easy solution would be to just like not do the public sale, um, either airdrop some of the coins that would have gone to the, to the public sale or better even, you know, just keep the you know if they keep like the 20 percent that they're already keeping of the total supply and the five percent that would have gone to the to the investors in now the the post advisory sale um and you know they they build nice things with the 52 millions that they have they should be plenty to then be able to to sustain themselves for for quite a long time um and give and you know like that would enable the the community to get the coins if they started mining um so um i, I think that would be like one uh, one way to to answer kind of like richard's uh question um but um yeah it, 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 it's a tricky one if i can if i can jump in there real quick it's like i think people are losing sight of the fact that this is only a percentage of all the coins that will ever be in existence and if they provide the system that they plan to provide if the utility is there, should we even care how much money the people that enabled that utility made if it's worthwhile? Like if they build a system that can can be a decentralized file storage for like to, to go against the juggernaut that is Amazon S3, should we really care how much the investors made that enabled that type of thing? Because you can mine this thing if it works properly, if the incentivization mechanism is correct. And make the file coin because there's a lot to be distributed for mining it. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very fair question, right? And I and I think that like we, we shouldn't care, you know, like we, we don't really care that Peter Thiel made stupid amounts of money on, on the Facebook bad. I do think it's um it's more of a question of, of risk um than than anything else, right? And so um I think we should care that some people got in at like, you know, two to ten to twenty X less price. Um, in you know, like a, a matter of weeks or even if it's months, like it's the same. I think that is a a, a question and issue. Um, and I do think also that just in terms of like capital allocation to to worthwhile projects, um, that you know it, it's worthwhile to allocate a lot, a lot, a lot of capital to this project. But when some risks have been uh, removed, right? And so maybe when you know the the mainnet is is ready and like it, it kind of like is more. Um, 
touchable or, or usable. Um, but I don't think that like people shouldn't make money because they are taking risk and they are enabling things that should actually exist in the world, right? And I do see my work as a, as a venture capitalist more, more as a capital allocator to things that should exist in the world. Um, and so I, I definitely believe that people should be making even like, you know, have, stupid amounts of money yeah. as people did for, for Ethereum. Have any of you guys met, heard of projects that are designed in such a way that they're allowing themselves the ability to raise more in the future? I've heard of projects where they say they'll give the money back if they don't hit a milestone. And that kind of sounds interesting, but also a bit weird. Um, I'm just curious why uh, a token-based protocol cannot raise money in stages. Um, you know, I think that 50 million is a very reasonable sum of money for Filecoin to manage right now and to build out the next stage of what they're doing. Um, I think that probably 500 million is too much right now. But you know, if they deliver the mainnet and it's incredibly fast and distributed and, and mining is going well, I think raising 500 million at that stage is absolutely required. And I guess what I just want to understand is why do you have to restrict yourself to one raise? And have we heard of anyone else doing something a bit different where they're saying, if we reach a certain stage, we'll ask for more in the future? I think you're looking at this from a traditional perspective too much. The idea of yeah. distributing a token and then reserving a good portion of that token is that if you're able to provide that utility, the value of that token mm -hmm. will raise, which will give you much, yeah. much more capital to build the system itself. Go you on. don't need to raise anymore if you provide the well, value. That's one way of putting yeah, it. But Tesla, Tesla issues new stock, even though its value has gone up. Tesla's stock goes up. Um, but they also issue new stock you know, at the peak of their their stock price because it allows them to fund massive new projects like the, the Gigafactory. So mm -hmm. I do yeah, think in that case, that's a central issuer and that like we're trying to get rid of a world where there's central banks, right? Got so it. I think uh, it's it's very yeah. it's very different if you have a system where there's like economics that are set up at their inception and mm -hmm. um, like rules of the game that are set up early. Like for example, Bitcoin set up rules um, from day one um, and from block one and none of those fundamental rules have ever changed or I, I believe will ever change. Um, you know, uh, Ethereum tried to bend those rules a little bit and said, oh, well, you know, we have these like general guidelines, but here are the things that are up in the air. So for example, they never set, um, they never set an inflation schedule. They never set a total number of coins that will ever exist. Um, and they, they just kind of said, oh, well, well, the community will figure these things out going forward. Um, maybe, maybe that's that. I think that might have some pros um, and cons, right? Uh, it might have some benefits because you could say that, uh, well, like we don't know what the future is going to hold, so we don't know what the inflation rate should be after uh, the system mm -hmm. forks. Um, and so, in order, in order, but like the the thing is, if they did that, then uh, then the miners would have held the system hostage. So what they did was they introduced the fork bomb, um, which says that coins like will asymptotically approach uh, something like 100 million coins, I believe it is, um, and, uh, and and then that'll force all the miners and all the entire network to switch over to proof of stake. Um, but I, I, I think that it's a very, it's it's okay and, and actually very reasonable for a system to be started by a group of people and then say, hey, here's the system we're starting, here's what we believe in, here are the rules that we're, we're starting up. Um, and it's a very different thing to like, um, to have someone who can continually issue new coins, yeah, uh, because I think that, that's a huge centralizing factor. Exactly. Now, yeah. like for for certain cases, like if you look at uh, you look at some of the companies that have reserved amounts for their company, like Filecoin, for example, um, they could always sell a portion of their uh, of their coins later on, right? They could always take 
that um, and, and do another sale if they wanted to. And, and same thing for, for example, look, the Ethereum Foundation, it has uh, something, I think they had a report earlier that said they had 800,000 Ethereum. They could take that um, almost a million Ethereum and they could sell that and, and raise um, money essentially for the Ethereum Foundation. Yep. Yeah, I was just at lunch today with uh, with a founder of a, of a crypto project who sold like a, a very minuscule part of all the tokens, and um, and and you know that was for just you know future thinking about you know like we will be able to to sell more. Uh, the total fixed supply is always uh, is always that one. Like it, it's not going to be um, a, a thing of like changing the the monetary supply. But um, we we are a bit in control of you know like how to fund and, and when to fund and and people can decide you know if it's worth it to to participate in, in future offerings based on uh, how much uh, an endeavor has been the risk um, and I think you know uh, it, maybe different things will work for different types of projects and yeah. uh, you know some like for example end user applications where maybe there's no mining and you know the the kind of the token holders have maybe only governance rights can have something specific that that doesn't work in in things like filecoin where you know the the, the mining community is um uh, you know it's, it's like it's a very specific uh thing but um yeah let's let's discuss this this idea of um a lot of the way icos are going nowadays is people trying to sell an idea they're gathering a lot of funds in order to create or to bring to light an idea that they have and they're distributing a token to do so. And in traditional VC, which a lot of you understand, that's not the way things are done. You have, you have proof of concepts. You have, you, you have a legitimate business plan. You have, you have a lot of ways of proving to the people who are going to give you an investment to grow that you're capable of doing the thing that you want to do. Whereas right now, people are making millions of dollars. The things that we aren't even talking about that don't even make it to the front page are making millions of dollars on nothing. And 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 is this a good thing? Is this the right direct direction to go? Now, Filecoin has done a really good job of at least creating a regulatory structure that allows them to do so because they're not basing anything they're doing on the Ethereum blockchain. They're just using it as a as a crowdfunding source, but you're you're right. You're you're putting a lot of risk in the idea that they're capable of doing this, but you're basing it on like IPFS and the team behind it. But mm-hmm. like they're they're an exception to the standard what's of what's currently going on, and I feel like it's the wrong direction. You have you have any ideas or, or like commentary on this? One one thing I would note is that many people I think who uh, have held onto a bunch of ether strike me as slightly um, manic and not thinking as clearly as they could. And, and for a time, I, I'd include myself in that. As, as you know, when, when the rise came at the beginning of this year, it was kind of hard to keep your feet on the ground. And so a lot of this money I see rushing in is a mix of people who have just made insane sums of money and kind of want this project to succeed and they're willing to throw it into a bunch of interesting projects. And then there's a lot of people following on thinking this is the next Ethereum and it's, it's kind of people putting in their savings and things like that. So is, it, I don't think we're in a rational market right now in terms of allocating capital correctly to projects relative to what they've actually shipped. I see a lot of money flying around and I do not see a lot of great products or services or tools that I actually want to use. And that's, I think, why we were all drawn to Filecoin is we could all legitimately imagine 
baking this into our applications and using it for future services. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right yeah. in your assessment. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Um, and the thing that I would uh, still point attention to, and I'm, I'm sorry if I always repeat the same thing, but um, mm. is, is really the risk and reward kind of thing, right? Because Ethereum, you know, they raised, I think, like between 6 and 12 million. I, I always forget the amount. Roughly uh, 17 was, million. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was uh, you know, for uh, probably like around 60 or something million coins. And now we are um, at like slightly more, but not, you know, uh, not a fraction. Um, and so the, the upside potential there, um, and we've seen, like, I, I, I certainly didn't expect the return that I got from uh, the Ethereum ICO when I participated. But, uh, you know, the, the, the upside potential is, is extremely strong, right? And so now, uh, first of all, you know, the, what you were pointing out is, is really true. You know, we're seeing white papers uh, with a bunch of jargon that, you know, they're raising like tens of millions with, with nothing. Um, but most importantly and most caringly, I think, uh, they are doing so at valuations that are completely nuts in terms of the potential uh, multiple that, that these investors are, are going to get uh, based on, on the risk that you're assuming on every single project. So, you know, if they were raising at, you know, very, very low valuations and even if one in a hundred works, you, you know, you get the the 500x or 800x that Ethereum delivers, fine, right? But if the one that works delivers, you know, like the 1015x, uh, then compared to the risk, I think it's it's nuts. What you're seeing, I guess, you I think you pointed to this earlier, is that a lot of the people who are investing in a lot of these things, because we are such a small community with a large amount of money, are the people that made ridiculous gains on their Ethereum. And what they're doing is because there are so many of these things that are returning decent profits with some of them going through the roof is they're throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what sticks which gives this um artificial legitimacy to the underlying project people make five million dollars they think they're they, they, they've done something properly where they may have absolute zero garbage and if you build a community around this and this happens for a, a long enough time there's going to be a very large come down. And I think we have yet to see this, but I'm waiting for it to happen. And like, I'm trying to figure out a way where we can stop it. Or is there even a way to stop it? Is like, are you, do you agree with me on that type of scenario? Yes, yeah, I think, I think uh, absolutely. Thing, go, ahead, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah. I was going to say, like, I think the other thing is, um, it, you know, a lot of us believe in tokens, not for the, you know, the, the financial value or for, for what we can see there, but actually for um, their ability to organize and, and help incentivize people. Um, and I think if we can move away from this kind of speculative mania, then that would be very healthy for the community. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything really that you can do, but um, just more kind of a, uh, an ethos thing. Um, but you know, there's some projects that I look to that are interesting. Like, for example, um, Numeri, which is I find very fascinating because they didn't uh, they didn't do a sale. Um, and what they actually do is they think of uh, their system as look, they're people that are providing work for this uh, decentralized hedge fund in a sense. And uh, people in this network they get paid out in um, in these tokens. And, and uh, it's I think there are challenges and ways of doing that in a way that's um, completely non-gameable. But what's interesting there is that that's that works um, completely outside of the appreciative uh, aspect of of uh, a token, right? It's a system that um, is focusing on the fact that uh, you can get paid for work. Um, I think that's 
that's something that's very, uh, very interesting, very healthy. Yeah, I, um, I I agree with that. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that scares me is, you know, as, as Ryan was saying, I don't think there's much you can do. And the scary thing is I was having drinks with this guy who comes at it from the Wall Street perspective. So we come at it from, you know, like tokens are the future. They enable so many more things that we could do before. Uh, let's give money to people that can bring these things to life. But there's a lot of people that come in here and they say, oh, I can do like a quick two, three X with this. And I and, you know, something he said, like really resonated with me. He was like, you know, I don't think long. Oh, because, looks like you, lost you know, I lost you there. Can you start uh, over a little bit? You don't think that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I he uh, the, this investor said that, he, you know, he doesn't think it's important to uh, which tokens he holds or invests in because you know when the when you know things start to go down and and they go down fast all the good tokens are going to go down fast too and and that you know like i realized that he was most probably true and and it, and it was really scary and so if today you know as an investor i kind of like uh, value the the fundamentals and the things that i should think that i think should exist in the world uh, those things are going to go down in value when you know a crash comes, even though they are the ones that maybe you know deserve the resources and things like that. So um, I, I think that you know what what you guys were were pointing at is um, is true and scary. Richard, do you have something to add on there? One, one thing uh, I highly recommend people check out is a, is a book called Dot Con, uh, which just gives a fantastic kind of summary of the internet mania, and and if we're in the kind of blockchain mania um uh now uh, or the beginnings of it um it's really interesting to read a book of what it actually was like back then and how crazy things got so i think i think we've got a ways to go before we're we're even close to what the internet bubble was like both in terms of the, the size of the capital bubble and the extent to which people were involved um but what my hope is is that, that in some ways we as we design this open financial system uh, as an alternative to the closed financial system um, that we can avoid some of the previous mistakes. And I would like to hope that as uh, token sales uh, either become legalized or brought into various countries, we, we can help people learn about these different projects and decide which ones they, they, they should you know, bet on or not. But I'm not sure. I think it's going to be pretty tricky. Um, one of the things I struggle with is, is, is you know, this notion of the accredited investor in, in the US. I mean, I'm allowed to go to Vegas and gamble away all of my money, but I'm not allowed to invest away all my money. And that that's always seemed strange to me. And I know that the roots of that were in um, some of the shark sales and, and kind of dodgy stock sales that went on um, earlier in the previous century. Um, I don't know much about the details exactly, but I, I, I guess there's just this notion that um, people are shut out from participating in capital allocation, but they're not shut out from spending away all their money. So there's a few themes in there, just just kind of going from why people are shut out from participating, and why this mania might be different or or the same. Um, if I can, but, if I can, yeah. if I can uh, maybe attest to that. So, um, as we've kind of built this system out, we've we've created systems that allow pretty much anyone is capable of participating in in a global scale mm. of of decentralized crowdsourcing. But as mm. this token sale model grew really rapidly. We then saw, mm. and, and then it became somewhat, I guess, obvious to the general community that there's a lot of money being put into these things and mm. regular, I guess, respectively 
ignorant investors were throwing their money at these things and in hopes of these returns that Stefano mentioned, mm-hmm. you're you're seeing people come and take advantage of those people really rapidly. They take advantage like the, the crazy phishing schemes that have popped up recently due to these exactly. ICO tokens, right? So like now the you have people throwing money at these things they don't quite understand, which means that there are there are open to a lot of very 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 easy ways to be manipulated and and i guess duped scammed whatever you want to call it because they don't understand these things so and that's that's essentially where the accredited investor came from with traditional investments so it's we need something similar to the accredited investor for this particular space but be, because it's very 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 easy to be taken advantage of we go ask anyone from my ether wallet of the pains they've gone through you try and educate the masses of what you shouldn't do in terms of dealing with an ico token sale and it, it's it's amazing so it's it's this double-edged sword of we can anyone can participate in these things but the more people we include into these things the easier it is to take advantage of them and we don't want to build systems where there's these massive honeypots of people stealing from other people Yep. Okay. I'm not sure about like I don't like what do we do? Like I do you have do you guys have any ideas? I mean <laughs> where do we go from here? Because we either we either go through the accredited investment route that we current like through the current regulatory systems that we have, which is somewhat against the idea of what blockchain came to in the beginning of an inclusive technology, anyone can be included, or we have this wild west where Enter at your own risk. You're probably going to get defrauded if you aren't incredibly careful. Yeah, I, well, think, I think the, the go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so my my hope was that we see some kind of advancement of the crowdfunding laws. I mean, these only kicked in roughly a year and a bit ago, where people can actually participate in capital allocation through crowdfunding websites. Um, the tricky part for companies raising through those, uh, and this is something that we're doing and we've gone through. Um, is that you have to file a bunch of forms with the SEC and you can only raise a million dollars. It would be fantastic if we, at some point in the future, could raise $5 million through crowdfunding in the US. And I feel like if something like that was allowed, at that point you could take the same framework that's been built in for crowdfunding, which allows people to invest a certain percentage of their income, um, whether or not they're an accredited investor, and you could apply that to a token sale. Um, so I see these two things starting to connect together, the, the crowdfunding and the uh, trend for coin offerings. Um, I think that the positive aspect of that would be that these people will be purchasing something that's liquid. Uh, everyone who invests in our crowdfunding sale uh, is going to have an illiquid share. Um, our hope is that in the future it will be possible to make it liquid and do a digital share offering. But that's not clear whether that's going to be possible. So. I'd love to see the trend of ICOs meet the regulatory framework of crowdfunding and the ability of these organizations to raise slightly more than a million dollars because that's quite restrictive for larger projects and to see those things kind of work together. That would be amazing. Stefano? Yeah, I I think, you know, it's really tough. Like, I wouldn't really want to be a regulator. Uh, specifically on this issue, you know, like usually in my head, the the kind of like discourse goes, oh, this regulation is absolutely stupid. You know, it's doing this and that. And then 
uh, after a while, I think, oh, but you know, there are these problems. And so like what kind of regulation uh, would make sense? And oftentimes I, I end up with something very similar to what's around, you know, and, and maybe after you consider all the kind of political implications of, of getting something actually done in, in a regulatory space, you know, like I think people actually do end up doing some some fair jobs there. Uh, but I think that in this specific case, uh, it's, uh, it's exaggerated by the fact that, you know, it's these offerings are global. And so, you know, U.S. is, is just a small piece of that. And, and people are, are moving around and um, they're inventing like very different uh, type of structures. And, um, and, and oftentimes, you know, it's just digital assets. So uh, my, my question is really like, can regulators even do anything at all? Uh, other than than education and uh, you know probably the easiest thing to hit is um, is an exchange and you know all the exchanges that are on, on US soils or or handle you know US wires or, or something like that but uh, then we have decentralized exchanges and um, this is all to say I basically have absolutely zero answers and, and I wouldn't <laughs> want to be doing their job because <laughs> it's it's gonna be really hard right Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's just a very difficult thing. Um, it's, uh, I don't know what the answer is here. Yeah, I think that's. I guess that's that's probably a pretty decent way to to wrap this up. I mean, I, I I think we've gone through the majority of the things that I wanted to address. Is there something that I didn't ask that you think you'd like to bring to the table that um, maybe people should know, people should think about? So we'll start with, I guess, each of you. Ryan, you want to go ahead and go first. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I think we covered a lot of things, but I would say maybe one thing uh, is we talked about, uh, we talked about some other mechanics. Uh, we talked about, for example, um, the, uh, the zero X project. I was just wondering what are some, what are some mechanics or things that uh, you guys think that we um, as a community should be considering with um, these token distributions and token sales. Um, is there something new that, uh, that we could, like what's the next level of, um, of mechanics that, uh, that we could be incorporating in? Um, I, can, and, I can tell you immediately. It's, 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 in my opinion, it's, it's rounds of investment. This, this idea that you need to do all of your capital in a single round is, is asinine. The, you, sh you should you should be able to yeah. raise the appropriate amount of funds to the level of development that you currently have that meets milestones of your development in a very similar way that traditional VCs evaluate what they put their money into. It's You shouldn't have to bet it all on a single horse. You should be able to evaluate the, the current state of a project and their ability to to deliver the things that they say they're going to deliver and how much you invest. And these things can grow. I think that's very fair. I mean, imagine an alternate state of the world where um, the Ethereum price had languished for another three or four years and the whole thing had fizzled out. I think we were all pretty, pretty sad about that. So while Ethereum price has risen and now the foundation is well-resourced, that was not a foreseeable and definite future um, state for the project. And uh, so thinking about ways in which um, the community of people who invested early can vote on how much can be raised in the future that's something I'd really love to see. So everyone who participated at the 10 million round can vote and say, right, yeah, we are going to allow um, the organization or the protocol to issue new tokens for sale. I think that could yeah. be really interesting. 
Um, I think there's so many things that can be experimented with. It's incredibly exciting. Um, but I think that while there are many things wrong with the venture capital model, um, having sensible amounts of capital relative to the organization's ability to manage that capital is not one of them. Um, you see this all the time with where more money can actually be a problem because you don't focus so intently on product market fit. And that's what I want to see is more protocol market fit and more product market fit. And I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I, I agree with yeah, what um, I agree with what you both said, and I think that you know when we'll have some uh, new pieces of infrastructure and technology like Aragon organizations, for example, uh, we will be able to do these things um, in a, in an easy way, and and I do think that you know people will, will want to start experimenting with this kind of you know more decentralized governance um aspects so i i think you know it, we're still in experimentation phase and uh people will try different things and uh it's, it's gonna take people losing money it's gonna take people making money but uh we're really like witnessing a, a revolution in uh, in how uh, products and uh infrastructure and then companies and, and movements and ecosystems are built so it, it'll take trial and error all right, Stefano, uh, since you just said that, is there something that um, we didn't get to that you'd like to kind of cover or bring up? Um, no, I think, you know, it was a, it was a great discussion. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I had already expressed really like my, uh, my thinking and, and my, uh, my feeling about this. But, um, yeah, I, there, there's just so many things to talk about. I think no one really has uh, the answers to anything. Um, and so we could probably stay here like another day talking about many different aspects, but this was, uh, it was very good. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. Of course, Richard, you got some for us? Yeah, I think, um, I think I'd leave by saying I am most impressed by the teams who have the restraint to ask for a sensible sum of capital in a, uh, manic bubble. I'm, that is why I am really impressed with certain projects where, you can hear the founders saying, we've capped it at this amount because uh, we feel that having too much capital could be a distraction and could distract us from creating something that's really useful. I think doing that when you see $100 million amounts flying left, right, and center is extremely hard. And um, I'd just like to say that I'm inspired by any founders that can kind of keep their head in that way. And secondly, I'd love to say that um, there is a side theme that I think is really interesting uh, about all this, where uh, I'm seeing that people who have worked hard at startups where the equity has grown a lot and they're paper millionaires, but they're still not able to access it, um, are starting to feel pretty disgruntled as they see all of these projects where people have contributed to protocols and they have liquid tokens throughout. And so one of the things I'm really paying close attention to is, is how this will affect the engineering hiring market. If you have a choice between working for four years at a startup to get an illiquid stock that you've got to pay to exercise and then get an enormous tax bill um, versus working on lots of interesting protocols and be given kind of liquid digital tokens um, from the beginning. I think that's going to lead to a fundamental shift in where engineering effort goes over time. Um, and that's something I'm paying close attention to. Yeah, I very much agree with that. I think that's very exciting. Um, and I think that it, that's how the future should be, right? We should uh, see a movement, I would like to see at least, um, away from engineers working for the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons um, and the owners of the internet of today and into decentralized open networks and, and contributing to something that's uh, that's 
public and that's um, that's completely decentralized and, and global. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the, my ability to contribute where I want and to be paid into a token that's that exercises my like that incentivizes me to contribute more. That's something you can't quite get from traditional things. Now, something else that I wanted to point out, I guess, to end this out is that, that came to me while y'all were talking was um, I wanted to kind of tip my cap to the at least transparency of Filecoin, regardless of how you feel about what they're doing or the decisions they've made. They've been incredibly transparent with how they've done things. And you can be sure that pre-ICO rounds or favoritism to like subjective reasoning on who gets initial tokens or better rates is happening rampant in the entire space. But they've been at least transparent in how they've done it who's, and who's participated in these types of things. So, I mean, that's maybe uh, speculative on my point, but I'm pretty damn sure that that's happening. So regardless of how you feel about it, you have to give, you have to tip your cap that they've been transparent with everything that they've done. And they've also been a resounding resource in the community for a very long time. Yeah. And they've responded to feedback and adjusted their process along the way. Yeah. But you cannot doubt the intention of that team. It is totally pure. They, they really do want to create a meaningful piece of infrastructure. Um, what we're debating here is just the implementation and the impact that has on the community. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and just to quickly add to that, I think that, you know, um, what surprised me the most was that, you know, like reading my post, many people did not realize the things that that I wrote, like they didn't catch them, uh, even if it was all, you know, in the docs. So it, it was transparent, like everything was laid out, but many people didn't really think much about it. Um, and and so what I, I subsequently wrote about is I do think that we need more people like digging into the docs of, of all the different projects um, and kind of, you know, pointing out if they see anything that, uh, you know, should, you know, should be improved or something that is awesome and that is new. Uh, or, or or anything, but you know there, there is so much stuff going on, and and it is all new. So I think we need like um, a lot of you know set of eyes at looking at, at all these things as as we move towards a world where where things are built more in public like this, which is is really awesome. All right, thanks guys, that was great. I, I appreciate y'all coming on, and I look forward to uh, having y'all on in the future. Thank you. Cheers, great, and thanks for thanks, Richard. Thanks, Stefano. Talk to you later. Thank you. You too. Cheers. Okay.